Grace to you and peace from God, our Heavenly Father, and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, this weekend, we are going to begin a five-week sermon series entitled, Up, In, Out, The DNA of a Disciple. Uh, as Pastor Tom uh, reminded you a few moments ago in our service, uh, we have a mission statement we've used here for a while, leading people to a full life in Christ. And as part of our life as disciples, what we're going to explore is the rhythms of faith and the relationships that Jesus embodied during his earthly life and ministry with his first followers that has become a pattern, an example that we as his children are called to imitate to the best of our ability with the help of the Holy Spirit as we become more and more like Jesus. The transformation we long to see, transformed lives in communities, our vision here at St. Peter, can only come, as we'll see, uh, through a deep and abiding relationship with Jesus that allows us to learn from him and to become more and more like him. Uh, as uh, the pastoral team and discipleship team at St. Peter, we're excited to lay out some of this language and imagery that we have found helpful in the last few years as we've been discipling and huddling with students and adults alike. And our hope is that for each of you, regardless of how long you've been at St. Peter or how long you have been a follower of Jesus, that it would nudge and encourage and challenge you uh, to a deeper relationship with him. So with that as our framework, let's jump right into what this up, in, and out language is all about. We're going to be using this image. You're familiar with some basic geometrical shapes. We're going to be using the image of a triangle to be able to capture simply the concept of the life and the relationships that we see Jesus modeling. Uh, we're going to talk about up, in, and out. Up is a relationship with the Father. Uh, any relationship with God begins there. It is sustained through a deep and abiding connection with he who is the source of our life. It then flows from up to in with other fellow believers, other followers of Jesus, kind of like we're doing just right here today, whether you're in the sanctuary here at St. Peter or even uh, through the power of technology joining us by phone or by live stream. There is connection, not the same as in person, but there is connection that we can experience through live streaming and uh, phone streaming services. We're blessed by them. And I know those of you joining us remotely are as well. So we see a relationship up with the Father, in with other believers, and also, super important, out with those who are close to us but far from Jesus. You've heard us use that language maybe over the years, a close to us, who is close to you but far from Jesus. So we're going to look in the life of Jesus over these five weeks at all three of these relationships. Today, just starting with kind of a simple overview to get your mind ready to dig deeper into each of the three relationships, up, in, and out. So to start, I want to take you back a, a little before our gospel reading from Luke chapter 6 to observe how Luke describes the first of Jesus' disciples beginning to follow him. So in Luke's gospel, chapters 1 and 2, if you remember, is the birth story of Jesus. Uh, you got the John the Baptist announcement to Zacharias, uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Uh, we see Jesus being born, Luke chapter 2. We go to that every Christmas season, of course. Uh, in chapters 3 and 4, we see the beginning of his public ministry. And then in chapter 5, 
we see the first of those who would become his disciples begin to follow him. So here we are, chapter 5, starting at verse 1. One day, as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. And he noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Uh, Jesus then goes up to these fishermen, uh, Peter and Andrew and James and John, we come to find out later on, and he says, hey, I need to borrow your boat. So here we are, verse 3. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, also known as Peter, uh, to push it out into the water, and he sat on the boat, and he taught the crowds from there. Now, we're not going to spend tons of time in chapter 5 because we really want to get to chapter 6, but you may remember the rest of the story. Jesus preaches, uh, and then afterwards he says to Peter, go ahead and put your nets out, and he says, all right, you're the preacher, I'm the fisherman, right? We've been out all night, haven't caught anything, but sure, at your word, notable, at your word, I will net down the let, let down the nets. And then he caught a miraculous catch of fish. And at the end of that exchange, verses 10 and 11, we see Jesus say these words. Simon's partners, James and John, the sons of, oops, that's a German type of correction, not Zender. <laughs> Zebedee. Oh, well. Uh, we're also amazed. And Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. Uh, from John's gospel, we know that Andrew and Peter and James and John were already somewhat familiar with Jesus. They'd seen him around where John was doing his baptizing by the Jordan River. They were aware that John said he was the Lamb of God who would take this way the sin of the world. They'd listened to his words, and now we're ready to leave everything, become his disciples, and follow him. A little later on in Luke chapter 5, uh, Jesus continues to add to these disciples and in verse 27 and 28 we see them do that with Levi also known as Matthew the tax collector later as Jesus was leaving town probably Capernaum he saw a tax connector named Levi sitting at his tax booth and here he gives him a very clear set of instructions I wanted you to know follow me Jesus says and be my disciple uh, to Peter and Andrew James and John he said I'm gonna make you fishers of men also an invitation to discipleship uh, here very clear and direct Come, follow me, and become one of my disciples. And so Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. So that's the context and the framework uh, that leads up to chapter 6, where we want to look at Jesus and how he embodies each of these three relationships, up, in, and out. He's just begun his ministry. Crowds are beginning to take note of his preaching, his teaching, his healing ministry. He's beginning to gather some of his disciples. But before he takes the next step, chapter 6, verse 12, something super important, Luke tells us. One day, soon afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain to pray. And he prayed all night to God. Here we see Jesus living out and embodying what we're calling an up relationship with the Father. In this case, literally, up on a mountainside. But whether you go up a hill or down to the lake or out onto your porch or back patio or the comfortable chair in your living room, the question for you today is where do you go in order to connect deeply with the Heavenly Father who knows you, who loves you, who 
who has sent his one and only son to suffer, die, rise from the dead, reign with him in heaven to return and restore all creation to the glory that the Father longs for it. You have been called out of darkness into light. You have been baptized into Christ Jesus. You have been grafted into this vine, this healthy vine that gives you life, and you are a branch that God designs to bear abundant fruit. But apart from me, Jesus says, you can do nothing. It's interesting that Jesus, even though he had access to all the power of heaven, for he is truly God in human flesh, even he took time to abide with his Father. A long time, it would seem. I've never spent all night uninterrupted in prayer. In fact, I don't know if I have the stamina to do that. But we see Jesus, notably before every major move in his ministry, here about to name his apostles. Later on, before he's about to be arrested, tried, and crucified, and many times in between, we see Jesus take time to get alone with God so that he could reconnect with his heavenly Father, receive from him life and strength through the power of his word and spirit, and to connect with him in prayer. As a disciple, as one who would seek to follow Jesus and become more like him, we are to spend time abiding with the Father, just like we see Jesus do. Now, Jesus doesn't stay on the mountain. He doesn't spend all of his time alone and in solitude with the Father. That's not what he's calling us to be or do. And so notice what he does next, the second part of this first set of verses. At daybreak, he called together all of his disciples, and he chose 12 of them to be apostles. Now, a quick distinction between these two words. They're used sometimes somewhat interchangeably in the Gospels. A disciple is simply someone who is following or seeking to become like his teacher or rabbi. A learner is the root word behind our word disciple in Greek as well as in English, and so we're seeking to learn the words and ways of Jesus. An apostle has a slightly different definition. Here it's used to represent those who are authorized uh, to represent someone else. And so these 12 were some from among those who are already following Jesus. There were more than 12 already at this point. But these 12, uh, he wants to name as his authorized representatives. So let's take a look at these 12 names. You know them probably pretty well. Simon, whom he named Peter. Andrew, Peter's brother. Going back to John's gospel, actually, Andrew was the one that brought Peter to Jesus first. Uh, that's about the most that we know about Andrew and his life as a disciple. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, not Zender. Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. These 12, Jesus specifically names and authorizes as his apostles. And these 12 were among those with whom Jesus would live and move and spend most of his time. If you look throughout the rest of the Gospels, you see Jesus always has a group of followers close by. Sometimes he sends them out to do some work, and then he brings them back so that they can walk with him, talk with him, sit with him, eat with him, sleep with him, literally spending all of their time with him. This is an example of what we call in relationships. Uh, Jesus designed us to live in community with other believers. 
And we cannot experience the life that he has for us fully if we try to go it alone. Maybe you found this to be true. When you're struggling, when you're dealing with a spiritual battle or a temptation or maybe an illness or maybe you're feeling great shame over a mistake you have made or something that has been done to you, have you noticed how the devil often loves to tell you, you know, you're not good enough to go to church, right? You're not holy enough to be with all those Christian people. If they just knew what's going on inside of here, man, what would they think about you? Notice the devil's tactic is to try to distract and discourage and then divide you from the community of believers that God has called you into because he knows just like when a wolf is going after a deer or a lion after a gazelle, if they can get it off alone and on its own, it's far more vulnerable than if it's in community with others. The devil's ploy is to try to divide so that he can destroy. Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. And you can only have that truly when you are connected deeply in community with other broken women and men and girls and boys who are also struggling and messed up with certain sins or certain broken patterns in their life. All of us come here today with regrets and mistakes, with frustrations and failures. And that's exactly why we should be here. Because we need to hear God's word. We need to reconnect with our Father. We need to be fed and nourished by him through word and sacraments so that we might be refreshed and restored and then re-sent out as his chosen people. Jesus, throughout all of his earthly ministry, intentionally takes time to be with those who were already with him, even though they were not yet fully formed as disciples. And so we, too, do well to abide with one another in community as fellow followers of Jesus. But again, there's three sides to this triangle, up with the Father, in with fellow followers of Jesus, and out with those who are close to us but far from him. So notice how Jesus embodies that in our text as well. When they came down from the mountain, the disciples stood with Jesus on a large level area, surrounded by many of his followers, and by the crowds. There were people from all over Judea and from Jerusalem and from as far north as the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. This is Luke's way of saying there's a bunch of people from all over the map and they were gathering to be with and around Jesus. Verses 18 and 19. What did Jesus do? They'd come to hear him. So he was going to preach good news. To be healed of their diseases. And so he was going to not just speak about good news, he was going to bring good news to those who desperately need it, and those who were troubled by evil spirits, and they were healed. Everyone tried to touch him, because healing power went out from him, and he healed everyone. What does Jesus do? Whenever he has an opportunity to meet the need of someone who is far from God, who is experiencing spiritual or, or emotional or physical distress, to the best of his ability, for the limited time he was here on this planet, he met every need that he could. He healed everyone that was within his reach, and he did so to demonstrate powerfully the love that God has for this messed up and broken world and the deep desire our Father has to seek and save that which is lost. Jesus says, those who are well do not need a doctor, but I have come for those who are sick, for those who are hurt, and those who are lonely, 
and broken. And dear friends, here's what we know to be true. Around each and every one of you in your family, maybe even in your marriage, uh, in your extended family, your neighborhood, your coworkers, uh, those that you love to travel with, play cards or go play bunco night or uh, go bowling with, there are people already in your circle of life who are far from Jesus and are there close to you by no accident. God has placed you in proximity to them so that you might be the one who brings good news. You might be the one who embodies the healing and the hope-filled presence of Jesus just by being you more intentionally, more fully in that place. God's recalled his son, Jesus, to the heavenly places, and then he sent his followers to continue to do everything they saw him say and do. It's interesting, Jesus names the 12 his apostles, and then he doesn't give them anything to do for a few chapters. (laughs) It's not until chapter 9 we're told that Jesus gave them some marching orders. He had to spend some time with them first and embody what they were to do before he sent them out to do it. But in that chapter 9, we're told this. One day Jesus called together these 12, here he calls them disciples, also apostles, and gave them power and authority to cast out all demons and heal all diseases. And he sent them out to to tell everyone about the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Notice Jesus sends them to do exactly what they had seen him say and do. And notice the similarity between Luke chapter 9 and another familiar passage. At the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, he says, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. And now he says to us, his church, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them and teaching them teaching these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. So what is the heartbeat? What is the purpose of our life as followers of Jesus? What is the essence of being a disciple and making disciples? Let's look at one last set of passages from the Apostle Paul. Also called out of darkness, quite literally, by the light of Jesus to a new and abiding relationship with him. How does, Jesus descri- how does Paul describe this relationship? Chapter 11, 1 Corinthians, verse 1. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Ephesians 5. Imitate God, therefore, and everything you do because you are as dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. So what are we, church? We are children of God. We are called to be disciples of Jesus who make disciples of others so that they might be transformed like we have been too. We're going to explore for the next few weeks how we live this out in each of these three relationships, up, in, and out. But for today, as you reflect on what you have heard and on what God might be stirring in you, I have a couple questions I'd want you to consider during what we call here in practice time. If you're on your own, you can think about these questions. If you're with someone, even better, lean over to them and share what Jesus might be stirring in you. Here's the first. Who is someone that you look up to as a follower of Jesus? And what do you see in their life that's worth imitating? Second question. Where do you feel strongest in your faith right now? Sometimes God calls us to start where we're strong, grow in that, and then deal with the broken and the weak parts. So give some thought to, share what comes to mind with one of these two questions. Matthew will play some music while Pastor Tom prepares for communion.